You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. I work in schools coaching teachers and senior leaders with the aim of improving their well-being. Now, whether that's through teaching and learning coaching, one-to-one leadership coaching, or the group coaching programs that I run for women leaders, I'm a really passionate advocate for coaching and how it can significantly improve well-being in schools. And today on the show, I've interviewed the amazing Yamina Beebe. Yamina is just a fantastic advocate for coaching. She's an assistant head teacher and she's a real pocket dynamo. Um, she's a brilliant young school leader already making a huge difference in people's lives. So much so that she recently won a We Are The City Rising Star Award and she was put forward for this by Vivian Porritt um, of the Women Ed Movement who actually we have an interview with next week. So look out for that interview. It's another great one. Um, Yamina is a role model for Muslim women in education and in leadership roles in schools. And she's also, as I've already said, a huge advocate of coaching in schools. So we talked all about how you can implement a successful coaching programme in your school as part of a broader well-being offering. Enjoy the interview. Yamina Bibi, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. It's really great to have you on the show today. I'm so glad you agreed to come on. How are we doing? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a fan of the show. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to be here. So thank you for having me on. You're welcome. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm in awe of you so it's uh, let's not let's not make it a mutual appreciation society too much um but we've started working together actually because we're both doing an accreditation to become consultants for something called the resilient leaders development program which we'll probably talk about a little bit more in the show because we both think it's absolutely awesome um and that's how i've got to know you and since we started to do the accreditation i've been so impressed by what you've done, uh, by the age that you've done it and how you've done it. Um, and I thought I must get you on the podcast so you can share this with people and be an inspiration to all of the listeners out there. So start us off by telling us a bit about you, about your background, about your love for teaching, where that's come from, what you've done in your career and where you're up to now. Yeah, oh God. Um, so... I am, where do I start? So I am a born and bred East London girl. I'm going to describe myself like that because that's how I describe myself. I am, um, I come from a huge family, four sisters, all four of us are teachers, I should say. Um, and just the most amazing loving parents who really believe that teaching and teachers are like gods you know that wisdom they were really revered in our house if only everyone felt that way Yamina if everybody in the country felt that way it would be yes for sure and if they listen to me my parents really but my our parents really kind of really fought for our right for an education they you know my dad came here in the 1960s I think um quite early on wasn't kind of 
didn't get an education himself. And my mum stopped her education quite early. And so, but they loved learning. And so it, for them, it was, well, we're, gonna, we're going to do this, but we're going to do it through our children. And so, you know, teaching and teachers were really revered in our household. There was a real love for knowledge and power. And um, they believed that there was a lot of power that could come from, from having knowledge um, in terms of education, formal ed education, but also at home as well. Um, so we kind of, we, I talk a, a lot about how we had like a multilingual home, really. We were learning English at school, coming home speaking Bengali, and then going in the evenings and, and learning Arabic. And so we had all of this language in, in our house, really learning and talking and, and discussing. And that's really where our love for, for education comes. And, and our dad really, and my dad really loved teachers. And he said, I want you all to be teachers. And that's what's, what's happened with our sisters anyway. We're all four of us are teachers. The other three are primary school and nursery, but I decided to be, I called myself a rebel in that Guardian article. I feel kind of regretted, but um, a little bit of a rebel. This is the only rebellion you're going to get from me, let's be honest. <laughs> um, because I, I love doing things right. Um, and so my rebellion was, yeah, I'm going to go and teach in a secondary school and teach English because I did my degree and I loved it. I loved studying English um, and, and all the knowledge that came from reading and the world's opening up to really and that's what I wanted to do for for other students um and I so, so I came into teaching as a kind of fresh out of uni 21 year old and have been doing it ever since and I this is my what 11th 12th year of teaching now so just over a decade working in the London schools I started my career in Lewisham and I, I always start with that because that's a huge part of my story and my leadership journey really um it was a school where there was, I was the only visibly Muslim teacher at the time. Right. Um, and so, and it was post 9-11, post 7-7. And it was quite, you know, still there was a lot of Islamophobia. Um, things that we don't really talk about now, I think we were kind of moving away from that. Um, but at the time, there's still a lot of Islamophobia that I was facing. You know, even as an adult, I was facing Islamophobia where people were talking about, you know, oh, why don't you go back to your country? Or, you know, the Muslims are going to you know, blow us up. Those sorts of things were still... Rhetoric. Rick is looking really shocked. I, just, <laughs> I must. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be naive. I mean, I'm not a naive person. I just. It just. It does just shock me when I hear you say things like that. That you've been through things like that in a country that or a place that I feel is multicultural and you know should embrace all cultures and what we can learn from it. And it it shocks me. And I, I'm sorry that you've that you've had to experience that. I think those experiences, like I grew up with those experiences of racism, and I think post nine, you know, September eleventh and those terror attacks, you know, it became and that that hatred became less racist but more like Islamophobia. Um, mm. So like when I was at school and it was nine eleven and I had the hijab pulled off and I was spat out on the bus and these are things that I hid really because I was kind of ashamed of it. But as I've grown older, I've used it as a learning experience to talk to them to talk about those experiences and and really you know, learn from that trauma because it was a trauma. And that's yeah. why. So when I went to Lewisham, I kind of made an active decision. My parents were like, what are you doing? <laughs> why would you not just teach and tell Hamlets where it's quite diverse? Um, you know, people look like you and sound like you. And I just said, you know, I really want to just learn. I want to learn more about people that are different to me. I've had kind of the same group of people, you know, and a bit of a, everybody looked and, and, and sounded like me. And we, like, a lot of my friends were Bengali. They were, they were visibly Muslim. And I thought, I want to do things differently. I want to learn more about other cultures, I guess. And I'm going to go to Lewisham and do that. And 
um, kind of I've had those first experiences of MQT. I'm four foot eleven, so I'm tiny. <laughs> Working in a school where yeah, I'm tiny, um, and so I was this tiny like hijabi <laughs> in this huge school. It's it's Central School in Lewisham. It's I love it. I love the school and for what it did for for my career, I should say, because it it taught me a lot about how to challenge bias, how to challenge pre prejudice, and use my classroom as a safe space to have open conversations, um, yeah. and also it gave me an opportunity to learn about different communities. So a lot of my community was quite like the same. And so by going to Lewisham, I learned a lot about LGBTQ community that I didn't really know about. Um, and I wasn't really taught about when I was younger and how to become more active, open, inclusive allies for that. And I learned that in my UT year, really learning, you know, having students open up to me and disclose that they were gay. And for me, that was a big deal because I didn't, I didn't know if that they would feel comfortable with that. And so I learned a lot being in that space. And I did face, you know, some, kind of antagonism from from students who were uh, also really honest because kids are honest yeah like oh, my, my mom thinks muslims are terrorists but you know you're, you're not like that miss <laughs> and so actually what i realized is my presence there was really powerful that yes you know i was facing that discrimination with those microaggressions you know i had students one, one student said in one of the lessons you know oh look a ninja's here to blow us up and, and using that, as opposed to getting annoyed and angry, using that as a teaching point. And it was hard, I'm not gonna lie, it was really hard for those two years. But my God, after those two years of being in that school, did I learn so much about myself, my identity, also hopefully the students learned from me as well. About you mean, I, I just love your attitude. Of, <laughs> Hannah Wilson talked about, oh, was it, um, no, I think it was Benny Cara who talked about the emotional tax of, um, someone who's from a protected uh, what's the correct term for it a protected characteristic um, and and how how the emotional tax on um, on you potentially in that role is much higher than it is for other people and then I think you've just given a really brilliant explanation of what exactly Benny Carroll was talking about in terms of that emotional tax but what I really admire in you is that you you see the benefits in that you see the positive aspects of that and that's what I love about you because you turn it around and you say well actually it was horrible but I learned so much from it and it was a well a positive it sounds like positive learning experience has come out of something that could be perceived by a number of people as pretty negative and I might have prevented them from going on teach in teaching I think I was really lucky to have I guess a really amazing family right uh, who, who kind of said, look, these things happen, like, let's see how we're going to deal with it. And we were really about finding ways of navigating our lives, I guess, in, in a society that was becoming more and more diverse, but also wasn't quite sure about that multiculturalism, wasn't quite sure about, you know, there was a lot of anti-Muslim hate at the time, particularly, you know, this is 2010, so it's not 2009, 2010, it's not that long ago, you know. No. So like just a decade, and actually, when you think about it at the time, there was a lot of anti-Muslim hate, um, and it wasn't called out in the way it probably should have been. So I, I used it, I guess I used my presence as a teaching point for those children to say, look, you know, okay, your mom thinks, you know, Muslims are terrorists, you know, this child, this student of mine, but you like me, well, you know, I represent the majority of Muslims. You know, I represent, I shouldn't, because that shouldn't be what it is, because, you know, but I, I understand the power I have here in my role as a teacher, because my role as a teacher is not just a teacher about these books, but to use this literature and this language to educate, to open your eyes up to what's happening, to 
make you more critical consumers of the world around you. And that's what it was, right? And that's why I think I loved English so much. I'm like, at that point, I knew I'd made the right decision. Um, I knew I'd made the right decision because there's a lot of, it was hard. There was an emotional tax, but actually I learned so much about myself in that moment. Um, and I think that's why I've gone on to be the kind of teacher and leader that I am. If it wasn't for that, I don't know what would have happened to me if I hadn't had those two years of experience in that Lewisham school with children who openly antagonistic towards me, parents who are antagonistic towards me, quite openly, some Islamophobic, you know, comments. Um, I don't know what, I, I think I would have been a very different teacher and leader. And I think maybe that's opened my eyes to actually what the power of education really is. So I saw it from my parents, but I saw it also for myself in that classroom and in those classrooms with those students. Um, and I still got those little cards and those gifts with kids saying, you know, because of you, I want to go and study English. And I've, I'm still in contact with some of these year 11s who have messaged me going, I've gone on to Oxford to do you know, you know, English because of you, miss. And that, that means a lot to me. And I think, yeah, if I hadn't had those experiences, maybe they wouldn't have seen a po positive role model in me. And, and that's what they saw, I hope, a positive role model. And, a positive representation of, of Muslim women particularly, because they would say things like, oh, I thought Muslim women were all oppressed and they weren't allowed out of the houses. The irony of it, the fact that I was their teacher, <laughs> like, hi guys, I'm here, you know? Um, and, and yeah, there was so much brilliance in that. And I had the most amazing colleagues, the most amazing mentors. And again, that really made me want to help others like me and to really support others. I, I think I, thrive in, in that position of helping and serving others as the IRLDP would call it that serving others is, is really where I where I'm at in terms of my leadership and I don't know if I would have been there if I had it hadn't been for those experiences and it's it's you shouldn't have to be but you're someone who's there who can can show people there's a car going past I've had to have the window open because it's so humid in this house today so you take on a lot of responsibility there, don't you? Sort of representing your your religion in that respect. And it's, it, I, what I find interesting is that I, I do some work with um, apprentices who are doing the leadership apprenticeship and diversity is really, it, you know, it's at the forefront of what they're doing in apprentices and it's one of the key elements that we have to focus on as, as they're doing apprenticeships. And that's why it's really important to have diverse schools because it helps people to understand each other's cultures and ways of living and all those things. Turning it on its head, it's interesting from what you were saying that one of my apprentices said he's in a multicultural school, but it's about 90% ethnic minorities. And a lot of the children in that school also haven't had an experience of we talk about British values as well and they haven't had an experience of sort of what a typical British I don't know whether there is a typical British town but you know white middle class place the children in that school it's a school in Birmingham they haven't experienced that and he talks about diversity in his school being something that's that's different and then encouraging the children from there to go and experience a, a, you know sort of I suppose a school like the one in Lewisham that you're talking about where the culture is completely different so it's interesting isn't it that perspective of you going into that school and experiencing something different and how diversity works on different levels because a lot of people think it's about it's about us understanding the culture of what we might call our ethnic minorities but in some places it can be the other way around 
absolutely. I read, um, I don't know if you've read Benny Cara's book, The Little Book of Darkness. Yes, yes. And she's got this brilliant kind of diagram that you can do as, as a teacher to talk about the identities in your life, the identities in your classroom, and then the identities that, are, that you've not experienced yet. And she actually has a task where you go out and you, you plan how you're going to find out about those identities and, and those cultures and th those communities that you haven't experienced. And so for me, it was, I guess it was that actually, like going out and going, right, look, I've, I grew up in Tower Hamlets where a lot of the students and a lot, a lot of people are British Bangladeshi Muslim. And I want, I want something different. I want to go out and diversify. I want to go out and learn. Um, and how do I do that? Okay, I'm going to go to a school in Lewisham where, you know, it's quite diverse, but it's diverse in different ways. You know, um, there are not a lot of people who look like, sound like me, but, you know, I'm going to learn more that way. And that was a scary thing to do. I'd be really yeah. glad if I said that wasn't a scary thing to do, but I did that because I, I hoped to learn something. And I did, I learned a lot about actually awareness, about, you know, how to be more aware of others around me, about, you know, how we can live in an actually really multicultural society where we really respect, it's about mutual respect and love, um, you know, and, and that was hard because of the trauma I faced as a child and facing racism and Islamophobia. But I learned so much from it. And I, 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 as I said, like, it's really made me the teacher and leader that I, that I am. And it's helped me to really openly challenge bias and prejudice where I wasn't able to before. So when you're in a classroom where students are saying, yeah, Muslims are terrorists, that's what I've been told. And that's what I'm seeing in the news all the time. And that's what my mum said. <laughs> and actually, okay, how, how do I challenge that? in a way that's going to be still for the literature, but I'm still delivering the curriculum, but I'm also helping you become more aware. Um, and that was really interesting for me as well to navigate as an you know, early career, quite a young teacher. Yeah, yeah. So how did you go from young teacher to leader to where you are now? Yeah, so um, I then moved on to um, a school in Newham. So I came back into the borough of Newham. I, um, which is the neighbouring borough Tower Hamlets, which is a little bit more diverse, I would say, but still an outstanding school in, in Newham, in the Olympic borough. Um, and it was just a brilliant experience. I kind of um, was a teacher then, and then I moved into head of Key Stage 4. And then all of a sudden, I, I discovered that there was something called teaching learning coaches in the school. And I, I watched and observed them, and they would go into classrooms, almost what we would call now instructional coaches. Yeah. They, went, they would go in and support people, um, colleagues who were maybe struggling with a particular aspect of their pedagogy and practice. And I remember the deputy head at the time was in charge of teaching learning saying, I think you should be working towards that. And I hadn't realised at the time, and I did this with my mentor in, in, as an NQT, I kind of said, I, I, I think I want to be an AST, and AST is kind of gone by then. You know, yeah, said, advanced you, skills teacher, that's yeah. a blast from the past. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> she had been an advanced school, skills teacher, my my mentor was also the professional mentor for the whole school and I said to her I really want to do what you do like it's really cool what you do but what can I do to get there in 10 years time this is what I said to her in 10 years I want to do what you do Teresa and I love her so much and she said well this is what I did and she kind of said oh I was key stage four and then I was head of department and I kind of like did lots of mentoring so we kind of set our plan really about what I could do and so I, when when Seema at the time the deputy head teaching and said look you've done key stage four now you've been second in charge of English you've got this experience, I think you'd be really great at this role. I kind of jumped on the charts because I thought, that, oh, okay, this is kind of a segue, but yeah, it's coaching. And I started kind of discovering more about coaching that way, gonna help it, more instructional coaching, that is supporting colleagues to really develop it and enhance their pedagogy. 
And then I ended up in Sarah Bernal as a practitioner. And, it, I, and at the time, Teresa had said, oh, there's no AST anymore, but there's this thing called a practitioner. I don't know much about it because it's still new back then. But by that point in my career, the lead practitioner was becoming more prominent. And so I saw this job at, uh, in Sarah Bernal. And I went, yeah, okay, well, I'll do that in Stratford. And it was the best experience ever. Um, and in that lead prac role, I was lead practitioner of English, was doing the accreditation with the SSAT. And part of that role meant I had to go outside of my department and not just stay in my department and go and network. And I'd kind of been delivering lots of CPD as part of the lead prac and teaching learning team. And then there was this coaching course that came up and the deputy head of the school, Fiona Morris said, you know, they sent out an email saying, there's this coaching course that we're going to be doing. It's, it's by uh, Mary Phillips, who was part of Vision and Vendor. I always forget the business, but she's a, she was the external coach and she still works with Sarah now. She's the external coach, she does instructional coaching. She's willing to train you guys over two Saturdays. And it was like four hours per Saturday. Uh, okay, it's free. It's, it sounds really exciting and interesting. And I didn't know much about what executive coaching was. And I think that's what they call it now, executive coaching. And those two Saturdays were the best Saturdays of my life. <laughs> I learned, I discovered all about like intentional listening. What does that look like? I learned all about those effective habits of a coach. And I didn't really understand coaching. I only knew it in terms of instructional coaching. And that's my first experience of executive coaching. Listening to listen listening yeah. to understand and there was a whole that that course was just phenomenal and it gave me the taste of what I needed and then nothing was done there was no program at Cerebra now and I went to the deputy and I said Fiona like I've been trained as this coach but there's no implementation program what's going on she went you're a lead pack why don't you do it oh okay so <laughs> went, oh yeah okay and I thought this is a great chance for me to become accredited as a lead pack working across the school also a great way of me working with a, a qualified coach because I was then working with Mary Phillips. And then I sat with Fiona, sat with Mary and said, look, I've got this vision of what I think this could work, like how this could work. We could match these coaches up because we trained, you know, there was 10 of us who'd been trained, match these coaches up with coaches who maybe sat with, within different priority groups. And for me at the time, I was just discovering um, women ed through Hannah Wilson on Twitter, doing, it could be like specifically women returning from maternity leave because I don't think there's much done for women who are returning from maternity leave. And at the time, my sisters were returning from maternity leave in their job and going, they're not getting much help. Like they're just left to it. That would be, And then I thought, okay, that could be, you know, people who return from a long-term sickness, maybe somebody who's new to a role, somebody who's new to, like all of these things I started thinking about and we started fleshing out these priority groups and what that program would look like. I don't know. And then all of a sudden there was this program and... I sat down and I thought, right, how am I going to sell this? So I sat with the coach and said, look, you guys have been trained. This is exciting. We're going to match you up. And part of that matching up process is about trust. So we're going to keep this a confidential program. No one's going to know who you're coaching. You're not even going to know who each other's coaching. You're only going to know who's who you're coaching. And that's going to be part of the confidentiality, the relational trust that we're going to build. Because there was a lot of kind of work done around trust and how you build trust as a coach and coaching. We thought that would be a great program. We're going to contract it so there's going to be a contract that you and the coach had to sign. And that's how it was born. And we started kind of with people who had bought into it. Like I'd done a little bit of like, guys, there's this program that's going to happen. I've been planning it. What do you think? And I started with like what, you know, Cotter would call like the early innovators, you know, the people, the early adopters who would like take it on board. And I, and I started it by myself. So I did it myself. 
I kind of went to a couple of people who I was good friends with. I said, I'm doing this program. I've just been trained. Would you like to be coached by me? And they went, okay, cool. And kind of let that be the word of mouth. And then started doing it that way and kind of started delivering it in briefing and, you know, really promoting it in briefing. So by the end, we trained up 20 plus, uh, sorry, we had 20 plus coaches through Mary Phillips externally. And all of these people within these priority groups had been trained to the point where we had a waiting list. Because at the beginning, it was like coaching is only for people who want to support yeah. that. That was the issue. That was exactly the thing that I was, was battling. We were battling this, oh, but why? Somebody once said to me, why are you being coached? You're, you're a lead pack. Yeah, like, it's a real I, misconception about coaching, isn't it? That the, the school that I used to work in as a deputy head, um, the head kept describing the work, some of the work that I did with some of the staff who needed to improve because their teaching was not where it should be. He kept describing it as coaching and I kept saying, it's not coaching, I'm mentoring someone, I'm teaching them, I'm helping them to learn how to be a better teacher. That isn't coaching. You know, coaching is working with anyone you know people who've got the the skills to do something and want to be better at something is that's what coaching is and and the school that I'm working at in Bradford at the moment we've got exactly the same thing people are saying what is this coaching can I do it there there was such a buzz about it when we'd done the first training day and we got it up and running that people are saying I want to do it when's the next when's the next opportunity when can I join in and it's great if you can create that that culture of people wanting to do something like that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it was that there was almost a taboo, it was a taboo. Like it was a thing that was seen as a, if you're being coached, you must be on your way out. Like that's genuinely what we were battling at SB when at Sarah Bernal when we first started it. But by the end, it had changed. That conversation had changed. And part of lots of that was word of mouth. People who'd had effective coaches and we did like these all like term evaluations to see what kind of almost like figure out what the what the what what was going well and what needed to be even better and really develop that program so that by the end of the two years that I was there people were waiting with people were excited about it it was like you said that, that school there was a buzz around it and I think I oh and I think my favorite part was it the motto was Mary Phillips motto was initiative and brilliance within you and we went with that and I've kind of gone with that with Forest Care and I've given credit to Mary Phillips because it is her it is her motto but eliciting the brilliance within you and that's what coaching is it's not about me giving you solutions it's about actually there might be some times where I move up that coaching into, into mentoring but mostly it's non-directive it's non-judgmental I'm a listening ear and my job is to elicit that whatever is already in you all that brilliance that's in you it's my job to elicit that I just love that motto and I think like Brilliant, why, yeah. why isn't it just beautiful and I think when you see it like that and when and we use that all the time we use it at Forest Gate in, in across our mat as well. Like I, I talk about, yeah, this is about eliciting the brilliance. So the point went now at Forest Gate, where I've established the same thing at Forest Gate without Mary, the expertise of Mary Phillips and just basically me with Steve Gillette, who's like one of our directors. So when we moved it to Forest Gate, I kind of this time earlier, you know, earlier last year, I said, look, you know, I did this coaching program at Sarah Bernard. It worked really, really well. I think we should do it here. And I, I, it took us a little bit of time to kind of get the program to the ground. And then last year, during the pandemic, I sat with Tamina, the head teacher, and I sat with Steve Gillett, and I said, look, this is my proposal. I had the plan already, because it wasn't something that I was, you know, reinventing the wheel. It's things that I'd done already. Kind of adapted it to the Forest Gateway, just so that it made sense within the trust. Yeah. 
and just said, look, this is how I think it's going to work. We're going to start with lead coaches. I'm going to train. I'll do it. Like, I know, you know, in terms of budget, I know that not every school has the budget. I said, look, I'm a, I've, I've been trained and, and trained by Mary Phillips. I'm, you know, I'm, I've been really working on that. I've been doing this coaching for like three years now. At this point, I've been coaching people inside and outside the organization. I think I could potentially lead it. Like, why don't I try it with you guys, with you, the deputy head of teaching and learning, uh, and, you know, and let's just try it. And that first, so we called it the lead coaches training session. And I designed it all by myself using some of my ideas and using kind of literature and using Andy Buck's basic coaching as well. I should, I should give him a shout out because that book is brilliant. I'm actually doing the qualification as well as doing the RLDP because I love it so much. Um, and used it to train Tamina, to train Steve, the director. And in that moment, I was like, God, if this doesn't work, I'm screwed because this program is not going to work. If, if they don't buy yeah. in with the leadership, I'm, I'm, it's not going to work. And I was watching, watching, and there was a point where I say, right, we're gonna, I'm going to model this for you now. Everything that we've just talked about, these listening habits, affected, you know, basic qualities, and what does it look like? I'm going to try it on you now, Steve. And I said, I want you to think of a real problem that you've got right now. And in 20 minutes, I coached him and he come to a solution. And it wasn't, it was him. It was all him. But he was like, oh my God. The all, I, I can't even explain it. All of it. I just looked around the room. There's my head teacher. There's definitely head of teaching and learning. All like this, like the doors dropping. I felt really like, okay, right. And she said, oh, it works. Oh, okay. And at that moment, I think was the buy-in because they see what the power of coaching was. They seen the power of coaching for themselves in that moment, that Steve had a problem, you know, this person had a problem. And through our discussions, through that questioning, I was able to elicit the solutions within himself. He was able to come up with the solutions. And I think that action, you know, we use a smart goal, there's real clear goal, we, we goal set, and then we have actions. And because he had that in front of them by the 20 minutes, he was like, oh, okay, it works. Oh, okay, I'm actually going to go and do this now. And I, I pulled, I, next to my son, I said, okay, how many of those actions have you made? And I did all of them. And it's really helped my workload. And I think once people see the power of coaching and the potential within themselves, they're more likely to buy in. And all of a sudden then, I mean, by, by the end, of, I only started this in September, I should say, Vicky. <laughs> I've trained up, we've trained up 30. So Steve and I then trained up 30 people within our own school and across the trust now. We've had more than, well, more than 30 plus now, like about 50 members of staff who've been coached, who meet those different priority groups. To the point, again, we've got people on the waiting list. I had, I should say, a site supervisor came up to me, and I think I said this in our, my showcase. Yeah. This, one of the site supervisors came up to me and said, I, I want this coaching me. Like, what's going on? I want to be coached. And I think that was the power because it was open to support staff and teaching staff, I should say. Yeah. It was open to everybody in the school. It's, it's about school leadership at its best. It's about actually saying, this is open for everybody. And it's about what you want to do with that time. What is your goal? And there has to be a goal because otherwise, you know, it's not counselling. You know, there has to be a short-term or long-term goal. There has to be actions. And there's a contract that means that you are both committed and invested in, in that person's in that person i'm invested in you and therefore i expect you to do these things i'm expected to do these things and and that's been so powerful um and i recently did like an end of kind of like term review where we looked at all the evaluations of all the coaches who, who responded to that evaluation just the most 
I mean, I, I feel like I'm a better leader. I feel like my classroom practice is better. I feel like I've, got, I've had space and time to think when I never didn't. I love the fact that it's confidential. All of those positives was what I wanted to be, we had a vision for that program. And seeing it, it, it on paper, it was just, it was just wonderful. And I think then those small momentum, you know, Cotter talks about, you know, build, you know, the small wins, doesn't he? Like, to, in mm. order to build momentum. Yeah. Going to briefing, going to, you know, staff CPD and saying, look at how brilliant coaching is. Look at what people are saying. And the word of mouth has been so powerful for our school. And, and actually what I found is that it's helped retain staff as well. Before we find out more how coaching can help you to retain quality staff, I just want to tell you a little bit about our partner, Head Teacher Chat. Head Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first School Leader Planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview. So people have come up to me and say, you know what, I was thinking about leaving, but I feel really invested in now. I feel like the school really cares about me. And, and because I've had the space and time to think, you know, those issues that I had thought I had issues with, I've been able to work my way through them now. And so that's why I kind of, I don't mind being here because I know that there's someone invested in me. That's so powerful. That's the power of coaching. It's amazing, isn't it? There's a couple of things there that, first one is where did you find the time to do it because that's the issue isn't it people always say I'm so busy I don't have the time to do it now I was speaking to someone who I coach um at the school in Bradford and she said she had so much work to do and it seemed like there was a huge mountain of work that she had to do but spending one hour with me meant that she was able to cut that down and the hour that she spent with me was so valuable because it helped her to just be absolutely sure what she needed to do to get everything sorted. The problem is people say, but I don't have time for that hour. Like I don't have time for that. Or the leadership team will say, well, you have to do it in your own time or they don't support it. So how have you gone about getting the time for people so that they can do the coaching and engage in that work i'm going to be really honest it's our first because it's our first year here all of it's been voluntary and this is the thing about teachers and leaders they're so generous with their time um and and that has been the success i think but we need to provide that time because it's cpd and so yeah. like providing that it's been it's been all about buying so everything that we said you know, the coaches that we've trained up, it's all been opt-in. No one's been forced to do it. It's been sent out and gone, look, we think you'd be a brilliant coach, but it's going to take this amount of time. It means this. And being really transparent about it, saying, look, you're either going to do six weeks of half an hour coaching sessions with your coachee or three, you know, 50-minute fortnightly sessions, depending on what your coaching needs. So it's personalized to them. But this is the time. Are you willing to give out? This is how long the training sessions are going to be. It's going to be 
four hours of your time that you probably don't have, but it's up to you. Are you willing to opt into it? Are you invested in it? Those people who've opted into it have therefore been invested in it. And I'm going to be really honest with you. That's how we, that, that for this year, it's been all, it's been all about opting in and, and volunteering. That's same with the coaches as well. We've said, look, this is open to you. You're a priority group. It's open to you. It's up to you if you think you've got the capacity right now to take it on. And but also, I'm quite, um, you know, in the sense that I, I would say things like, but I promise you it will be worth your while. <laughs> and or I would like, do you want to go and speak? You know, obviously because of the confidentiality of the programme, we don't really say who's being coached. But because they've loved it so much, they've told everyone, oh, this is yeah. my coach. And, you know, I'm being coached by this person. And this is the value it's had. And that, I think that in itself has created that time. But actually going forward, and I've, I've spoken to the like, leadership team about how we need to provide that time within department time or there needs to be some CPD time where there's half an hour where you can meet your coach and, and the coaches and coaches can meet together and have that time actually as part of the timetable rather than it being something that they're doing generously out of their time because we know leaders and teachers are busy, but we know also how powerful, like you just said, Vicky, as well, how powerful coaching can be for their workload and well-being. It has to be part of your strategic plan as a school and it has to form it has to be written down and be committed to that if you've got that vision wherever you're heading coaching can contribute to that and therefore it has to be part of your school improvement plan you have to commit to it in that way and you have to invest I think you do have to invest time and money into it because if you do a cost benefit analysis like you're saying that member of staff who said I think I was I was gonna I was gonna look for jobs elsewhere, but you've kept them. How much have you saved there in terms of your recruitment and your recruitment budget? Like you've saved probably fifteen hundred pounds in terms of having to get find a new member of staff, and then the amount of learning that would be lost. And I'm not I'm not meaning to sound like I'm saying new teachers in schools are not good, but there's always a finding your feet time, isn't there, when you've got a new member of staff. And you don't probably get the same out of them as you do a, a member of staff who knows the school. So in terms of what you gain from it, it is absolutely huge. And you have to be able to see the bigger picture of coaching from your whole organisational or even across your, as you're talking about, across your mat and what it can bring in terms of, yes, you have to, you have to put a lot of time and money into it. But what you get out of it in terms of cost benefits, if you were to do a cost benefits analysis, you would really see that coaching is something that's well worth investing in, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. We've actually, so it's actually like, I think number two on our school development plan, quality, improve the quality of mentoring and coaching. So those are side by side. And I guess that's what we've done here is we've got an instructional coaching program um, or instructional mentoring program, depending on how you want it. It's a, it's a, it's a funny one that, isn't it? Cause I, I have a little, uh, I'm a bit like, I, I see yeah. the benefits of instructional coaching and um, one of my um, RLDP clients who I was working with today is a coach. She's an instructional coach, but it's very, very different from, I, I see that as mentoring. When you're working with a member of staff who needs to be told what to do or to be given advice or to be given suggestions, to me, that is more mentoring. I think if you're coaching someone, you do have to believe that they've got the answers and if you're working with a member of staff who needs to develop as a teacher, sometimes they don't have the answers themselves and you do have to mentor them. And there's a place for, for switching between the two sometimes in a session, as long as you do it with permission from someone 
to give advice but there is a bit of a fine line between mentoring and coaching isn't there yeah absolutely I think that's we've called it that I mean yeah in our school we've that SDP is about quality of mentoring and coaching and that kind of signs side by side I guess I'm gonna call it instructional coaching for <laughs> for what it is which is mentoring but really specific bite-sized practicable observable kind of feedback um, which is traditional mentoring and then you've got this executive coaching program which is really open and you know eliciting the brilliance within the individual that they have the answers and that if like you said you know they need a bit of direction it's always about permission it's always about here are some options which one would you like to go for you know all of it is in the hands of the coaching and I think that's why I love this program because it is about them and because what you're doing is you're not dependent on me as your coach you're dependent on yourself. It's all there within you. All I'm doing is asking questions to help elicit that. And I think that's why I love this program so much and I'm so invested in it. I think that's why it works as well, I hope. Like that's why people really have seen, have bought into this program because they see that the power is within them. That it's not about their coach. It's the power is within them. And, and it's almost like a light bulb. You know, it's just wonderful to see. I, I love being leading this. I'm, I lead it across the whole mat now, but uh, I love it. I love when coaches come back to me and say, I had that brilliant coaching session with this other person and, and that was fantastic. And as a result of this, this is what I'm changing about. It's about changing habits or this is what I'm going to do differently or this is how it's helped me. It's, it's just been, I think it's been the most rewarding part of my job this year. It's a big statement, but... <laughs> And um, you've won an award, haven't you, as well? Oh. Do you want to tell us about that? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm really bad at this. I have um, won the Rising Star Award, um, nominated by Vivian Porritt, I should say, and Women Ed, who are absolutely amazing, um, for the work I'm doing around coaching, the work I'm doing with Women Ed as well, and really being an advocate for women, hopefully, in diverse communities as well. I think that is so in line with kind of my you know, experiences as a, as a human first, you know, professionals next, as, as Mary Might would say, and how other women, particularly, I should say, have been an advocate for me. So people like Bookie Yusuf, like you, like Hannah Wilson, you know, I've got all these amazing women in my life, like Rachel and Jeremy, I should say, you know, from Ariel, <laughs> all these amazing, I should say there are some men, but mostly women in my life who've been just advocates and allies for me. And I, I hope to do the same thing for others as well. And the Rising Star Award is about women who pay it forward specifically. And I hope that I've been doing that in my role as a women and network lead, um, but also in this coaching, both within schools and outside of schools as well, really kind of giving that space and time because I was lucky enough to have that throughout my career um, to have amazing people who've supported me, um, who've mentored me, who've coached me um, to try and be, the, to, to thrive and to stop being so much in my head because I am, I have a real tendency to allow that inner critic to to rule, to to rule, and um, through coaching with Bookie and, and with Hannah Wilson, through the RLE, I've really kind of tried to interrupt those tendencies. I say try because I'm working on it. So even now I'm really awkward that I have to talk about this award, um, but try and kind of hopefully pay that forward so to help other women interrupt those tendencies they might have too. I just think it's absolutely. I find it so funny. No, I don't mean that to sound patronising, but that um, and the dog's just come in. I don't know if anybody heard the doggo then. Just, um, but just that you, 
you are you, you just come across so authentically and you know when you talk about serving you can tell that that is your vocation to do what you're doing and I just find it that you that you're so humble and you have so much humility that you don't want to you know shout it from the rooftops you won an award because you deserved it because you're a beacon because you're standing up there and you're saying you know you, you you're representing lots of lots of women you know young women muslim women women of color it, it's it's i'm just inspired by it and i think it's amazing so tell me what the next steps are for you because obviously we've been doing our um resilient leaders um elements accreditation and we've completely we just absolutely love it don't we we've, we've just bought into it so much so tell me what tell me what your plans are for doing next what's next for you mina the rodp the group as well right should we just there. should we just say it's the resilient leaders development program so that people know exactly what it is yeah um, the rrgp accreditation i was i was part of a pilot program for hannah wilson and i was one of her friendly clients uh, last year and it was it came at a time when i really needed it i was really struggling personally and professionally um and she just came along right right at the time when Hannah Wilson I told her yesterday that she stuck with me forever now um <laughs> and she kind of recommended and I I tweeted out I can't earlier she year saying I really wanted to become an accredited coach because I I kind of done this qualification I was in a basic training qualification but I really wanted to be accredited so that I could work kind of outside of organizations as well not just work in schools um and so she she messaged me going you know what, I think you should do the RODP and then you can be my associate and I said, okay, Hannah Wilson, because I love you and I will follow you wherever you go. <laughs> and so that's how the journey started. And so hopefully what's next is now that I finished my showcase and I'm going to hopefully work alongside Hannah Wilson as, as an associate, um, as a consultant coach, kind of really want to bring the program to the schools that I'm currently, you know, currently working in, but also moving on to um, in September and kind of establish it there. Because I just think that our RDP, I was just saying to Vicky earlier, it makes leadership so explicit. It makes those complex kind of ideas around leadership, they are still complex, but through the RLDP, it simplified it for me. So I can talk about things like, instead of talking about alignment, unifying purpose, you know, servant leadership becomes serving others and makes the, the, those complex ideas quite explicit and easy to follow. And then there's these challenges that you do to really help you develop in those areas of, of weaknesses I guess or development so I want to work with Hannah as her associate kind of helping um women and people from diverse communities I'd love to kind of work with you Vicky yes <laughs> well we've we've got plans for I know we've got lots of um women listeners out there but we've got plans to do something because we've both been heads of English and we know what an absolutely demanding role that is we've got plans haven't we to do a, a group coaching program for female heads of English which I am so excited about and just I just really wish that there'd be more of these things going on when I was a, a head of English I, I felt you know it was a it was a hard hard job and I loved it don't get me wrong I absolutely loved being a head of English and having so much impact in the school where I was working but it was it was tough and I, I wish women ed had been there and I, I wish there'd been coaching programs for women leaders out there there's so much there's so much more opportunity to be coached and to build networks these days and I think 
when we can use the resilient leaders development program as well to shape that um i think it becomes really powerful doesn't it yeah absolutely i just think i i mean i'm i'm really lucky to have the coaching and the people that i've had coach me support me but i think there's still so much to do you know, a lot a lot of teachers and leaders aren't on twitter they don't know about these kind of opportunities that are out there and i think the more we can get those out there into the organizations that we're working in the better it will be for our profession because really what we particularly the reason we talked about women leaders particularly is because there is i mean i was saying i'm, I'm an overthinker i'm always in my head <laughs> and i've got still tendency to think i'm really rubbish and incompetent and it doesn't matter what the data is telling me in my head i'm like oh my god you made a mistake that's it it's the end of the world and everyone's going to think you're rubbish and that's it and that imposter syndrome is talked about a lot but it really does show up and if you're a head of english with one of the most demanding jobs in the school right because the you know, most i'm going to say the most let's put it out there we can, <laughs> we're going to we're going to offend people people have just switched off the podcast now but no it, it's a it's a tough tough role joking aside it's Schools it is judged, they? they're judging the english and yeah so it is the one of the most demanding along with yeah. as well okay but one of the most demanding jobs in the school with that burden of you know the school is judged based on your results yeah so it is a big job and if you add on top of that uh, you know maybe the the kind of imposter syndrome that women tend to face that those tendencies around overthinking that inner critic, allowing that to rule. You know, if we can really, through coaching, challenge that and really help people think differently about themselves, how powerful will that be? Just that ripple effect will be absolutely immense. It's it's interesting that you talk about that because in the Women Leaders um, programme that I'm running for a a multi-academy trust, we had a session on Monday where we looked at, we do one week where we look at who you are at your best and then we have a look at what gets in your way and and those things all came up in that session imposter syndrome inner critic overthinking but we were able through coaching to support each other and come up with ways that you can address those things because you're never going to be able to stop the negative thinking it's like you're saying you you try and it's a constant battle but it's about practicing it and making it a habit to, you know, actually when recognize it and know when you're experiencing some of these negative thought patterns and switching them around and doing something about it, isn't it? It's about learning strategies that you can use that help you to be more positive, to be your best self more often. Yeah, absolutely. I did this course and I, I, this is where I learned the, word, the idea of tendencies from Jazz Amplifier on a Humans First Leadership course last year during the pandemic. And, and she talked really passionately about how we can interrupt our tendencies, how we can rebalance, you know, from pressure to stress and stress to pressure, and how we can re- ensure that we kind of get that equilibrium, I guess. And, and part of that is to interrupt the tendencies, to label it, to actually say, what is it? What am I actually feeling? You know, what am I thinking about myself? And then really trying to identify what the triggers are for that. So that next time when it happens, you can label it and notice it. Uh, and that's part of what our old GP talks about. I notice when I go from pressure to stress. I know when, you know, it's, it's so important to be able to notice and then label it so that you can then tackle it and identify it for what it is, call it for what it is, and try and do something to negate that. And I really think that coaching helps you to do, be able to do that better, I guess. I've been really lucky to have like three, four years of coaching now. Um, 
to be able to get to this position because I wasn't this person. I know a lot of people think, oh, you mean you're confident. If you met me three, four, five years ago, I was a very different person. I was quite shy, really over critical about myself, quite anxious as a person, couldn't speak in public. I would have said no to this podcast five years ago. Wow. No, no, thank you, Vicky. See you later. I don't know what you're talking about. Who am I? Whereas now I'm like, okay, right. I've got a little bit of imposter syndrome because I'm a bit, you know, it's exciting. But also I'm nervous because I don't think I'm ready. But actually, no. You know, what does the evidence and data say? And that's because of coaching. I've been able to interrupt those tendencies. I notice it for when, when it happens. And I'm able to kind of do something about it there and then. And that's because of coaching. I think we need to get Vivian Porritt on the show. Yes. I really do. I'm going to I'm going to message her. I think she follows me and I follow her on, on Twitter. Um who was the other lady you said jazz? Jazz Amplifar. I will tag yeah. you. Jazz yeah, is doing yeah, I think she would be another brilliant person to get on the podcast. The more women I can get, the better. I know we have a lot of men who listen. Um and I think one of the roles of men is to lift women up and to support women. Um, and that's really important so they can be part of our team can't they we will we'll let the men be part of the team that's okay I know we've got some and I've got a, a number of male listeners Adrian listens Adrian's in our RLDP accreditation group so I know he listens so it's great to have male supporters and that's why it's so important on the podcast I think to give that perspective the perspective of women now I'm going to make an assumption that you want to be a head teacher can I be really Some honest? Point. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about it until I met Maggie on our course. And I saw Tamina, who is a visibly Muslim film woman. And I didn't ever think about it. And then I thought, recently thought, I could do it. Maybe I should do it. <laughs> and it's only recently where I started thinking about maybe headship. Um, I never thought that about myself. And again, coaching has, and the RLDP has helped me see myself differently and view myself differently because of it's all about impact, right? We want to have impact on the world. We want to, uh, for me, it's about leaving a legacy, which is what my parents taught me. How will people remember you? Um, and, you can, and the more we kind of rise and the more we help other people rise as well, you know, it's about being as visible as possible, but also having the highest impact. And I, I guess I could do that as a head. And also then it'd be quite fun to drive teaching and learning. Quite fun, really, I hope. But Maggie's made me realize that it could be quite fun. And I, I, I am really, really pleased that you agreed with me and said yes, because for me, there are far too many women who I talk to who are in leadership positions. When I ask if they want to be a head teacher, say, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I think we need more women aspiring to the role of head teacher and believing that it's something that they actually can do. I'm evidence of someone who was a deputy and went, do you know what? I don't want to be a head. I've said before, I would do a co-headship role so you know when you're ready maybe we could do a co-headship together <laughs> but but it's not it wasn't something that I wanted but I know it's really really important that we keep women engaged in their leadership and we make them believe that it's something they can do because I think there are things that have happened to me along the way that have knocked that confidence out of me that made me think perhaps I say I you know I don't want to do it because there's an element of me that feels like I can't do it even though I know I could I know I could be a head and I know it would be a great head, but I think we need to really empower women and coaching, creating the groups that we're, we're creating with women leaders, coaching programs and networking can help us to support each other, to believe, to really believe that we can be 
head teachers and to really create that to really inspire women to think that it's something that they can do and that they want to do I think that's the thing like I mentioned to Mina my head teacher I didn't think it was really possible because I don't know many visibly Muslim kind of uh, head teachers yeah. women. and so when Tamina became head teacher I was like wow this is so inspiring so inspired by her I thought well she, if Tamina could do it maybe I could do it if, you know we're from Chathamers you know we've got a similar backgrounds if Tamina could do it, maybe I could do it. And, you know, I, I think I still need a few years. I'm, I'm the kind of person who likes to do a job for a while before I go on to next things. But I think it's so important to be able to see those visible role models too. Um, and, you know, sometimes we, we need to be what we can't see, right? Yeah. It's not about, oh, you know, you can't be if you don't see it. Let's make it more positive. We, and that goes we, right we back to see. where we were at the start of the podcast, doesn't it? That's what you that's what you did right from the start. And I think it's really important that, you know, Muslim girls see Muslim women teaching and leading and being head teachers and taking on those roles and being role models and making someone like you say, say, well, if she does it, I can do it. But we also need to look after those people as well and look after people like you to make sure that you've got the longevity in the role. And I think that's one of the things that you've come to understand about yourself, isn't it? That you need to just step back sometimes and give yourself some space and look after yourself. And that's that's one of the reasons I started the podcast in the first place is to get that message out there that you need to look after yourself as a leader you have to take care of yourself so that you can do the job effectively and you can do it for as many years as you need to do it as well. Because if you want to make a career out of it, you will burn out if you start at, you know, 60 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, whatever, working 70 hours a week is not sustainable. And I think you've learned that, haven't you, about yourself through doing the RLDP course? Gosh, yes, I mean... I am a people pleaser. I'm going to just say that out loud. <laughs> I know that about myself. I like serving others. I like people liking me. You know, it's something that I've really been working on to kind of distance that. Um, but I also work like over the top. It's, it's almost too much. And through the RODP, I was able to identify because, you know, one of the kind of elements is awareness and awareness of self. And under awareness of self, there's this one little kind of thing about, you know, I rest, re-energize and renew. And I don't, I, I did not before the RODP. And I'm going to say that really emphatically because I wasn't looking after myself. I was going to sleep at two o'clock in the morning. I was waking up at 5.45 in the morning. It was insane, the number of hours I was working. All I did when I wasn't at work, I was thinking about work, constantly making to-do lists. And, and actually what ended up happening is I suffered, my well-being suffered, but also the people I love most suffered um, as a result of that. And actually then it really kind of, fed into how I wasn't in the, as a leader because I wasn't entirely happy um, because I was I felt like I was giving 150% and sometimes when you're not getting that back because not everybody works at that level right and it shouldn't be expected to work at that level and I was saying in my show because like I don't people would call me superwoman people call me superwoman I don't like that I don't no. want to be superwoman I want to be known as a human leader I want people to be like actually you know Yamina makes it's okay to go home at this time. It's okay to not think about work at this time or do this and to protect my weekends, for example. But people weren't seeing that in me. What people were seeing is strong character, perhaps, you know, and that came across on my RODP feedback. Do you ask, you know, you ask for help and support. And actually that came out quite low. And I, 
So I was the kind of person who talked about their weaknesses, but clearly I wasn't enough. And because people saw me as superwoman, maybe because I, I have got a kind of a streak of wanting to be perfect at all things. And that's not good either. That's really, really bad. And it came from fear of failing. It came from a fear of being labeled incompetent. So instead of being labeled incompetent, I'm just gonna work really, really hard and work all the hours I can so that I'm not seen as incompetent. And actually, the RODP has made me realize that what Brene Brown says, you know, you can't get to courage without rumbling with vulnerability. That actually being open about those areas of, uh, of development with others has led to others feeling like, I don't know, I don't want to use the word permission, but people feeling like they've got the right to then also say the same thing back. Like when I was saying, oh, actually, so for example, this time I've actually stepped down from my assistant head teacher role um, out of choice. And I said, look, you know, I'm going to create those boundaries for myself. And I've I've, I've actively stepped back and I made that very clear to people to the point where now I've got colleagues coming to me and saying oh actually I'm really struggling with this or I'm really struggling to protect my time and I was wondering what you've been doing because you look really happy now and I'm like these are the things I've been doing I've been optimizing my relationships I've been spending this time with these people I've been doing this to protect my well-being and so it's almost like it's given others permission and that has come across because of the RODP coaching I would never have seen that for myself. I would never have gone, oh, I'm a kind of person who doesn't ask for help. Because I always thought I did. And the RODP has shown me quite visibly that, no, I don't. And asking for help is really important, particularly when you're a new leader, I would say, particularly yeah. when you demand a job like ours. You mean I would love to talk to you. I could talk to you like for the rest of the afternoon, but we've been talking for nearly an hour now. So I'm going to have to draw this to a close. <laughs> It'd be like the longest podcast in history. Um, I know um, I do listen to some podcasts. Rich Roll, he's got some, and um, Joe Rogan, they've got some like three hour long podcasts, but <laughs> I don't think that's what our listeners want. They want something they can listen to on the way to school, on the way home, and it's done. So thank you so much. If people are interested in what you've got to say and they want to find out a bit more about you, where can they find you? Best place is Twitter. <laughs> it's the one handle I remember at Ms. Y B B, so M S Y B B on Twitter is the best place to find me. Um, I blog, I always forget the name of my blog. It's really I'm really rubbish at this. Um, but I think it's Miss YB's at wordpress.com or dot wordpress.com. Find me on Twitter, you'll find everything you need. <laughs> at Miss Wybees. Brilliant. I'm sure you get lots of people getting in touch with you after listening to you on this because you've been a total inspiration. So thank you so much. I wish you all the very best with your career. I know you're going to go stratospheric. So remember me when you're <laughs> when you're taking on the world. Yes, I will. I will. <laughs> Thanks, Jamina. Take care. I want to say a huge thank you to Yamina for taking the time for talking to us today. As I know she is extremely busy, although she is working on that. <laughs> She's learned that from the Resilient Leaders Programme. She's working on taking better care of herself. So a couple of things to take away from the interview with Yamina. I think she makes the point that coaching is for everyone in your school, not just teachers, not just senior leaders, for everyone. So if you support staff, for your site staff, it can have an impact in terms of well-being on everyone on your whole staff. So that's really important. She talks about coaching as listening to listen and understand. And even if you're not taking a coaching approach, that's a really brilliant approach to leadership. Listen to people, to listen to them, to just listen. 
You don't have to make comments, just listen to them and try to understand what they're saying to you. I love also, um, I think it was from someone else, but the idea of eliciting the brilliance within and that what co that's what coaching has the power to do. If you'd like to find out more about the Resilient Leaders leadership program that we've been talking about in the interview you can go to the website at www.resilientleaderselements.com and you can take the light program if you want to or you can just find out a little bit more about what the program is what the resilient leaders elements are that um that yamina was alluding to in the interview and if you're interested in my women leaders group coaching program we've only got a couple of spaces left now for the september cohort so if that's something that you're interested in you can get in touch with me via twitter um, so you can just type in we lead well podcast or you can join the we lead well facebook group i'd love you to join us in that group so just look us up on facebook it's the we lead well group on facebook or you can visit my website www.transformeducationcoach.com scroll right down to the bottom and you can book a chat with me to see if the women leaders group coaching program is something that you would benefit from i'm sure it will be because everybody who's done it has been raving about it so far so it's been absolutely brilliant and one last thing before i go um the daughter of my best for one of my best friends has had leukemia and she's been undergoing treatment for it for the last couple of years so little sophie who's six is having a bake sale on sunday and she is trying to raise as much money as possible for her favorite charities um the charities that have supported her since her leukemia diagnosis so i would really love it if you could make a donation no matter how small or large to my lovely friend Lisa's daughter and she's called Sophie and she has a Just Giving crowdfunding page and I will put the details of that page in the show notes so please 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 if you can give a donation to Sophie she's been absolutely brilliant she's been baking cakes all week ready for it so that's all we've got time for today I really hope you enjoyed that interview I'm sure you did and I will speak to you next time by the way I am going on holiday for the next two weeks so it will be two weeks before you have the next episode with Vivian Corrett, which you are going to really enjoy. So take care of yourself, take care of your staff and lead well. This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchats.com and the Teach Well Alliance.